0: All right, we are in the Corinthian letters. Uh, we're in the second one. This series um, is getting close to the end as we get through uh, this section of 2 uh, Corinthians. The first letter, Paul rebukes the Corinthians because of their lack of unity. Uh, this theme is all throughout that book where he talks about the diversity needs to be unified. Um, But they are also harboring sin in the congregation. And he rebukes them. And he tells them in this letter that the purpose of that rebuke was not to make them sorry. But to demonstrate their genuine faith and obedience. So now he's seeking to comfort them. And to be comforted by a restoration of their love and fellowship. And he implores them to reconnect with him and his fellow workers. Because unity is the point of reconciliation not just a ceasing of hostilities. And he's been told by Titus that they really obeyed him and that they continue to show their genuine faith and love uh, and concern even for him. And that becomes his comfort and joy. So now we're going to reach two chapters, chapters 8 and 9. I'm going to do 8 this time and 9 next time. I wanted to do them both together, but I was worried that I wouldn't have the time to uh, fully explore what I need to in in this next chapter, so this one this message is a little short today, but um, I think will work better in the long run uh, paul 's going to report on what god 's doing in the churches of Macedonia, and his subject is the collection from the churches of the diaspora for the saints in Jerusalem. Now, you as a congregation are more aware of these passages in that context most Churches do not read these passages in that context. They read them in the context of uh, tithing at the local church. He's not talking about that at all. So, to get this clear, what he's doing, I want to go back to Romans chapter 15. And I'd like you to turn there with me. This will give us a theology uh, of what is going on. So in Romans chapter 15 in verse 25. Paul says, he's talking about going to Spain. He's telling the Romans he wants to come and see them. In verse 25 he says, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Now that's the title I've given this. Serving the saints, the word for serving there is the word that we know for the word deacon. Uh, This idea of ministering. Uh, caring for, taking care of somebody is the, is the point of the ministry of the deacon. And so he is saying, uh, I'm going to minister to the saints in Jerusalem. I'm going to take care of the saints in Jerusalem. He says, because Macedonia and Achaia, Macedonia being uh, where uh, Gal- the Galatians are, and Achaia being where the Corinthians are, uh, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem and they were pleased to do so and they are and and they are indebted to them for if the gentiles have shared in their spiritual things they are indebted to minister to them in material things therefore when i have finished this and i have put my seal on their this fruit of theirs i will go on to spain So it's important to understand what Paul's talking about here. The churches that Paul had started have now begun to collect money to go to the poor who are in Jerusalem. This collection for the saints is not their normal, if you will, tithe offering, that kind of thing. This is seducca. You know what that is. This is the care of the poor and the care of the widows. And it's specifically going to those who are in Jerusalem. Because uh, many of those in Jerusalem who are following the Messiah have been kicked out of their synagogues. They've lost their jobs. Their homes have been taken from them by family members. They, they are really struggling because of their faith in, in Jesus or in Yeshua. And so uh, what we get is we get a... Uh, statement in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts that the community in Jerusalem is trying to take care of these poor and those who are suffering in need and they take care of the widows in chapter 6 with the meals and the deacons who are formed but they're caring for the poor and Barnabas sells property and uh, gives it to the apostles feet we know the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they're giving, but they don't give exactly what they say they're giving, and God judges them for that. But the idea is that there is a need uh, of the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul said, these Gentiles have now been sharers in the spiritual blessings of the Jewish people through the gospel. And as a result of that, what they need to do is share back materially uh, with them. And so uh, this is his uh, this is his focus, and this is the theology of that that those of us who are Gentiles who have received the blessing of the gospel have a particular burden and indebtedness, he says, an obligation uh, to help out the Jews who are suffering for the gospel's sake, because the gospel has a tendency, at least it did in this context, to be benefiting the Gentiles, but it was causing persecution of the Jews. And uh, so Paul wants uh, to make it clear that they need to be uh, helping in that. And uh, so, uh, I want you now to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, because this will give us then the immediate background for what he's going to say in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16... He is now mentioning this ministry to the saints or a collection for the saints. So he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he has prospered, so that no collection will be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you approve, I will send... Uh, them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going to Macedonia. So he's going back and forth, Macedonia, Achaia. He's visiting the churches. He's carrying for them. He's writing them. And he says, basically, what I want you to do is put money aside regularly. And he tells them to do that on the first day of the week. Now, a lot of people believe that this is a statement about giving an offering on Sunday, and it's nothing to do with that. They are worshiping on Shabbat. Maybe they are extending beyond the Shabbat into the evening of Saturday night, which would be Sunday, uh, first day of the week, because of the resurrection in that context. But when they get, when they, uh, get up on Sunday morning, they're, they're working And so what Paul says is, as you organize your week, as you're setting aside your resources, I want you to evaluate what you can set aside for this work, and set it aside, bind it. I don't want to take up a collection and an offering when I get there, just be putting it aside, and then when I come, you'll give it to me, I'll send it to Jerusalem with approved men, and if you need me to go, I'll go myself. That's what he's talking about. But this verse is all over the offering envelopes of Christianity. Um, missing the point and the context of what this is. So he's saying, I want you guys to uh, set aside this benevolence ministry. Uh, this sedukah that in some sense you owe to the Jews, the poor, your brothers and sisters in, in the Messiah. Who are suffering because of the faith. Um, And he is trying to explain that to them in 1 Corinthians. Now we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he is talking specifically about this context. He says, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now what Paul's saying is, even though the Macedonian churches are poor, and they're afflicted too, they're still giving in this offering for the saints at Jerusalem. That is the grace of God working in them. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they have given of their own accord. This almost echoes the story of the widow's might in the the Gospels. Giving beyond their ability. They are making sure that they give to the poor in Jerusalem. And they're probably going even beyond what they really have resources to do. And he says, they begged us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So he says, we were overwhelmed by the grace of God that happened in Galatia and in the Macedonians. They they want to be a part of this, even though they're struggling themselves. And he said, they even went beyond what they're able to do. And beyond that, they cared for us because they had given themselves to the Lord and us in that context. They really are demonstrating an earnestness for the faith. And so he says in uh, uh, verses uh, 6 and 7, So we urge Titus... That as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and in word and in knowledge and in earnestness and in the love that we inspired in you. So that you abound in this gracious work also. So he says, look, these guys were doing so much that we said, Titus, you know, you went to Corinth and you took the letter and they responded to the letter and you started this work with them to collect the money for the saints and the letter talked about it go back and finish the job right now we're going to see in chapter 9 that Paul is concerned that this setting aside of this money so that there's a pretty good amount of benevolence money that people will go you know what I don't need to give all of that I can hold some back thinking of Ananias and Sapphira, right? So we have this this notion of it might be affected by covetousness. I'll talk about that next time when we look at chapter 9. But Paul is saying, uh, Titus, we want you to go back and finish the work that you've done. And then he says, Corinthians, you guys are faithful and zealous in faith and in love and in speaking the word of God and in All of these things, I want you to be maturing and gracious and active in this as well. And that picks us up at verse 8. I am not speaking this as a command, but it's proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. I'm bringing this up about the Macedonians. Not to command you what to do, but I want you to see what the grace of God has done in them, so that you will recognize the grace of God in you as well. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, here he's not talking about money. He took his place, he took all that he had he humbled himself and became a man. And then being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself even to the obedience of death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That humility, that strong bearing the infirmities of the weak, that principle of doing for others with what you have is... Then repaid by God in His in His grace and in His um, uh, His blessing, and He says, "So you know this. I'm not commanding you to just give up this money. You know the principle behind this, and it shows the genuineness of your faith and of your commitment." And so He says in verse ten, "I give my opinion in this matter. Uh, This is to your advantage." who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but to desire to do this. He says, look, I'm not bringing this up because I'm telling you what to do, but you started this. You were the ones who said, Paul, we need to help. We need to help those people. We need to do this. Uh, So they were in the initial part of this, and he's saying, I'm just reminding you that you're the ones that brought it up. So in verse 11, he says, so now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be also a completion of it by your ability. They could say, well, Paul, things are rough now. You know, you even had to rebuke us. We're not doing as good as we were doing a year ago. Right? So in verse 12 he says, uh, For if the readiness is present, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person doesn't have. Interesting. God knows your situation. He knows what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, When you started your commitment that you're going to lay aside as you have prospered, if you're no longer prospering, you can't lay that aside. This is not about, well, you said this amount, do it. He's just saying you agreed that what you were going to do is you're going to analyze from time to time, week to week, how you're doing, setting some money aside. Some weeks you'll set more aside. Some weeks you may not set any aside. But you'll do it and then you're going to follow through and you're going to keep doing what you said to do. God's only requiring you to do what you can do. I think of that uh, song, Uh, Where the guy is complaining in each verse about how hard it is to live for Jesus. Uh, And each chorus is the Lord kind of gently rebuking him. Look what I've done for you. Uh, uh, And the verse that I think of all the time is, I've done so much for Jesus, I often boast and say, I've sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune. Lord, I'm worth a lot to thee. And these are the words the Savior said to me. If just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. God's not asking us to do great things for Him. He's a great God asking us to be faithful to Him in the things that He's given us. And that's really these. What do we have that He didn't give us? And so he knows what we can do and what we can't do. And so uh, Paul is saying, guys, i not asking you to go above and beyond. The Macedonians are trying. I'm just saying, do what you said you'd do. Finish it. For this is not the case of others. And for your affliction, but by way of equality. Not asking you to become impoverished so other people can become wealthy. That's not the point. This is about evening in and out. It's a principle I talk about a lot. In all things, in gifting, in resources, in time and relationships, God gives to us unevenly and expects that we will redistribute the strong bearing the infirmities of the weak. That's the biblical principle. Um, And so those who don't have the ability to do something should not feel bad that they can't help. And those who have the ability to do should when they've done it say we've only done that which we've been asked to do. In other words, we have the same care one for another and show the unity of the Lord and we show The sign of discipleship. He says at this present time, verse 14, your abundance is a supply to their need so that their abundance may also become a supply to your need and that there may be equality. Now Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians when he says that uh, we have need of all of the members and a member can't say I don't need you. We may say, I don't need you now, but later we may need them. And we may need the very gift that they have. It's amazing what God sometimes does when we get arrogant, that God then turns the tables on us to remind us that it's all coming from him and that we are stewards in that context. And so he says, uh, right now, you're able to help them. The day may come when they're able to help you, and that's treating each other In this equitable manner. As it is written he says. He who gathered much. Did not have too much. And he who gathered little. Had no lack. Now that's a quote. That's actually a quote. From the book of Exodus. So I'd like you to turn with me there. It's a fascinating verse. uh, Because the context of what he's giving. Are not natural resources. But the gift of God In the giving of the manna uh, from heaven. So in Exodus 16. They find this stuff. They say what is it? Mana. That's Hebrew for what is it? Mana. That's what it becomes called. And so he says in, in uh, verse 16, This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little no had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he could eat. Now, there are a lot of explanations of this. Let me give you the one that I like the best. Can I say this is exactly how it happened? I can't say that. But they're out gathering. Now, you know how people are. We get competitive. Ooh, I got that, right? And then another person, okay, I, I don't even know what I'm doing here, you know. And they bring it back. Somebody's gathered a lot. Somebody's gathered a little. And they put it all together. And they take the number of people. And they put it all together. And they take it out an, an omer at a time. And there's just enough. No matter what they gathered. Whether they really were aggressive at gathering or they were not aggressive at gathering uh, for whatever reasons. And that could have been age, that could have been physical ability, that could have been where it was distributed, it could have been all those things. God is looking at the community, he's not looking at the individual. Really hard for us. The promises of God are to the community, not to the individual. The responsibilities are to the community, not to ourselves. The gifts are given for the common good, not for ourselves. And that process and that theology and that mindset ought to be part of what we are. We ought to be thinking communally and not individually in that context. Uh, what a great story that is. And you know the, uh, the rest of the story... Uh, When they gathered too much and tried to hoard it and keep it, it grew worms, right? So you can't just, well, I'll keep it for me. I may need it later, right? Uh, God says, I'm supplying daily. Give us each day our daily bread, right? So there's that notion of it. And then, of course, uh, the scripture tells us that when they gathered it on, on Friday, the day before the Shabbat, it lasted two days. God is with us. He is for us. If we walk in his ways, he will see that we are taken care of. So, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll pick it up at verse 16 uh, at this point. Paul says then, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Now Titus has visited them uh, he, had, he had given them the letter. He had talked to them about Paul's rebuke. They had assured him that they were doing it. He was encouraged and thrilled with the spiritual response that they had. And, and that became a comfort and joy. And so he says, and he, they're saying, we're sending Titus back to finish this thing. And I want you to know that Titus has a great zeal and earnest uh, feeling about you in this, in this sense. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you on his own accord. We didn't have to bring this up. This is, he's, he's pushing for this. Now we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in these things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, But he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our readiness and taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. Wow. How'd you like to be this guy? Okay, Titus is coming. You know Titus and you love Titus. Titus loves you and it's great. We're also sending another guy who's well known among the churches and they've even appointed him to be with us, but he's never named. If I was going to name him, I would name him Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not. No reputation. No big name. He's known among the brethren. He's unknown other than that. We have no idea who this guy was. But an interesting thing, he was appointed in part to take precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of the gift. For we have regard for what is honorable not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. He says, this guy was also sent by the churches kind of to keep an eye on the money. You know, a lot of money. When an offering gets pulled up and people are going with it, you know, there is a danger here. You recall among the disciples of Jesus that uh, Judas says, when when, uh, Mary is anointing Jesus, hey, how come this wasn't sold and given to the poor? And the scripture tells us he didn't care about the poor. He was in charge of the money. Right, there is a covetousness that happens when there's an aggregate of money, uh, and you know this if you've spent any time uh, studying human nature. Among the poorest of people, there is a sharing, and among the wealthiest of people, there is a hoarding. That that seems to be human nature. Uh, the better off we're doing, the less we think we can spare. And a lot of people who have almost nothing share willingly and easily when they have a little given to them. And so he says, he's here for that purpose. And, but he says, but we are concerned with doing the right thing in the eyes of God and the right thing in the eyes of man. We have regard for what is honorable not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He says, Now we've sent with them, verse 22, our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. So here's a third guy that we don't know who he is. Okay. Now, we've got Titus. You know Titus. You love Titus. We're sending this other guy who's well known. We're not naming him. Uh, he's watching to make sure it's there. And we've got another guy that we've tested. We have tested to see if he'll be faithful in these difficult things when there's a possibility that he could take advantage of it. And he's proven there and we're bringing him here. Now he goes back to Titus. As for Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, all three of these men that I'm sending to you, they are angels Of the churches. They are messengers of the churches. They are the word of the churches coming to you, a glory of Christ. So, therefore, openly before the churches, be very clear when these people come that you treat them appropriately so that the proof of your love and the reason that we boast in you will be manifest. Why are they the glory of Christ? Because this is the body of Christ taking care of itself. This is the proof that they are disciples. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not that your doctrine is straight. Not that you have great buildings and programs, but that you care about one another. That you Love one another. That you try to minister to each other's needs based on the gifting and resources and time and ability that God has given you so you do that appropriately towards one another. And when we do it, we do it so that we make sure that we do it honorably before God and honorably before men. And so Paul says, uh, treat each other appropriately. In this, Now, as I said, I have a relatively short message... because he is going to, in chapter 9, say... I really don't need to write to you about these things... Uh, uh, because you are already ready. So, he's just reminding them... and he's going to talk about the dangers of, of forgetting... and why he wants to remind them. I'll talk about that next week. But I think there is something here for us to apply. Um, and again... Uh, I, I have no problem boasting in this congregation uh, because there has been a struggle from its inception to try to be obedient to God, to try to figure out how to make our homes and our families and our congregation something that reflects what God says. Lord knows we don't do it perfect. We don't do it uh, complete but we at least keep our mind on it and our eyes on it and struggle to do it in that sense. We've committed ourselves also to assist the poor in Israel as part of our ministry. A number of years ago, we bought a uh, a storage unit uh, to be put near Jerusalem where uh, it could be used for benevolence. Uh, I really think we should consider... uh, Uh, talking to Dr. Schiffman about uh, supplying that as well, Uh, not just that one-time gift, but finishing the work in that sense that we've started. I think we should continue in this, maybe with some other uh, activities such as Project Joseph, and I think we need to find a way to uh, do it as a congregation and as individuals in this context. Uh, And so I hope to be... um, bringing some of that up. I also think we desperately need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem uh, and the healing of the rift between Jews and Christians. Uh, I haven't been able to travel as much as I did in earlier days. It was my custom to uh, find a synagogue When I go into a new city or somewhere, and uh, if I'm at a convention, find a synagogue that was open, go in and pray for Christians, and then find the oldest church that I could find or a cathedral, and go in there and pray for Israel. Uh, For me, it made sense to do it that way. I haven't had that kind of opportunity, and I notice that as the opportunity ends because I had it built into a structure, uh, I then begin to forget to do it. So sometimes we need to say, this structure isn't working, let's find a new structure and get back on the goal of what we're doing. I also think we have to be clear that in all the things that we do, that we affiliate ourselves with those who are tested and proven to be diligent and faithful in that ministry. The apostles made sure, they didn't say, well, God will have to watch out for it. They made sure for themselves that they were being honorable before God and before others. So we need to work, again, on being a community that shows our unity in word and deed through faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and love. And one of the things that comes out of that is there is both our individual reputation in the Lord But there is also the reputation among the churches and among Israel that we should be concerned about. Not concerned about it in a hypocritical way that we're acting the part so everybody will think well of us. But that we're doing the part so that those who know will know that we are doing it out of the grace of God that has come to us. And that seems to be what Paul's message and his goal is in this in this chapter uh, that we've just looked at, so let's pray.